Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. online. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, well, if you weren't here last week, we started going through the book of Mark, and instead of just doing like a little like dip in here and there, we're actually going through every single verse of it. And uh, that'll happen in a few different sections uh, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead. But um, one of the things that we're also doing is midweek we send out an email, um, and it's one of those emails that I know many of you are on it, and if you're not on it, um, I'd ask you to consider being on it for a couple reasons. We're going to, uh, sure, there's a devotional nature to it, but one of the things that is really on my heart is that we all learn how to actually chew on the word. Because it's very, very easy, and for many years of my life, I showed up on Sundays, and, and what I would do is that would be like my spiritual nourishment for a week. Now, let me just ask you, does, does anybody in here just eat physical food once a week? No. No, none of us would do that. And, and it's the same with scripture. The more that you begin to interact with it and chew on it, you, you'll find that there's a true spiritual nourishment. This is why it was referred to as bread. It, it's actually bread for our souls. And so, excuse me. So, that midweek email is also going to be for, for the purpose of giving you some tools to, to study the word and engage with the word. And um, I didn't think to have the link up here, but we can, you can email us if you want to sign up for that. In fact, if you sign up in the next 10 minutes, you will get a free George Foreman grill as a thank you for signing up. And um, actually, this limited time offer, you get two George Foreman grills, Okay. That's a total lie. We are not giving you anything except an email. I mean, we're not even going to spam you. You don't even get spam from us, okay? So consider signing up for that. Um, this last week, we already looked at one primary tool for engaging with the Word of God. And, and I just think you got to start here. And it's very simply, it's prayer. It's prayer. And so as we dive in to Mark chapter 1 and continue on through it, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you, and honestly, there are all kinds of things from the week behind us and the week ahead of us on our minds and on our hearts. And, and there are so many different things that have our attention. And so I ask that you would, with, with your strength, just get beyond us, get beyond our own strength, and Lord, focus us. Whatever is blocking us from hearing your word and hearing what you have to say to us, uh, Lord, clear that so that we can focus on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've got a question for you in here. If, if I were to tell you, or if I were to ask you, how do you define good news, how would you define it? I mean, what kinds of things come to mind? And I've got to be honest, as I've sat with that question and I've wondered, yeah, how do I define good news? 
some, some interesting things came to mind, and I realized some things. That oftentimes, I consider something good news if maybe I do well at something. Uh, maybe if things go well, some circumstances in my life just go well. Or if I'm received well. That is, like, where I go, I'm maybe thought well of, thought highly of. And, and that all works. That's all, that's all really good news until it doesn't keep up. I mean, doesn't it stop at some point? Have you seen those uh, motivational posters that, you know, they, they put a word on them and there's this inspirational scene and it, it says something that it, like, motivates you through your day? I saw, I saw this collection of um, demotivational posters and, and it said mistakes on it. And there's a picture of a boat, like, tipped over and it says, the purpose of your life might be to serve as a warning to other people. And I just thought, yeah, that, that is eventually where we all end up, right there. You know, it, it goes well, but even I'm um, 28 years old, and uh, so I, I cannot believe that was funny to you guys. I'm a little offended right now, but I'm 41 years old, and you know what I've, I've realized? It's this thing that I denied all the way till I was about 27, 28 years old, is that my body's just always going to be able to do what it did when I was younger. And it turns out that's not true. And I, I sure wish some of you would have, in, in the older generations, would have warned me about that. Um, but we all reach a point where things don't go well. And if good news depends on us, then we're in trouble. And so I, I want to actually pick up where we landed last week. That the good news, as we look at what Mark had to say at the very beginning of Mark chapter 1, the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't begin with us. That is, I'm not the source of it, you're not the source of it. Rather, we begin with it. We begin with it, and that's very difficult, especially here in America, isn't it? Because we live in a country where we have been, we've been just prone to think, and culture and society has steered us toward become independent and become self-sufficient and become self-elevating and self-preserving. And so it's very, very easy to think, ah, I mean, the good news that Mark is talking about and all these biblical writers are pointing to, it's easy to think, well, it's decent news. It's kind of good news. But I'm looking for great news. And we especially deal with this in America, in the culture we live in, because we want, we want everything bigger and better and faster. And so our defini- definition of good news may have, may have kind of run off on a, on a rabbit trail a little bit. And we might need to come back to how we define good news. And as you look at what Mark has to say, as, he, as we continue through this this morning, you, you see just in these verses of what good news really, really is. And, and let me tell you this right off the bat. If it's good or if it depends on you, it's not good. If it depends on you, it's not good. Because as we just talked about, eventually it breaks down. If it comes from you, it's not news. Right? We learned this yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Tom Brady retired. Or maybe he didn't. Right? If you were, if you were following the news. I mean, I'm talking with friends yesterday, and Tom Brady has, has called it a career. And then, like, this little subtext of these headlines start coming out. But the Buccaneers haven't been informed of that. And his own dad hasn't even been informed of that. And, and then his agent came out and said something. I thought, that, there it is, right there. You will know because you'll get the news from him directly. You know, he'll 
send a tweet or, or do an interview or whatever it is. But I just, I just thought, that's it right there. See, who do we take good news from is really what I want to ask this morning. How do we define good news and, and who do we consider the source of good news? And Mark, Mark is he's writing to an audience not like us. I mean, he wasn't writing to Americans with, with all the amenities that we enjoy. Mark, remember, is writing to Christians in Nero's Rome. And we talked about that a little bit last week. Nero was rounding up Christians and putting them to death. And so Mark, as he's writing this letter to Christians, he's saying, I, even in the midst of all this, I, I got to get you this gospel message of Jesus Christ. There is good news. And that would have been hard. Especially if you go off our American definition. Because for them, they may not be doing so well. And things aren't going so well. And these Christians, they're not being received well. But see, what what I often do with American eyes is I I open this up and I go, okay, where's my name in this? I I just got to find me in this. And I need to find the thing that speaks exactly to my circumstances. And, And Mark, I believe what he's doing here. In, in just verses 9 through 13, one of the things that jumped out to me is, no, 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 the good news is, is so much bigger than you're imagining it. it. It's more than just what you think is relevant to you, Nathan. And it's more than what you think you need, Nathan. There, there's so much more to the good news. See, there's, there's really nothing about us in the verses that we're in this morning. And that's kind of hard because we can hit the off switch. We can go, well, I don't really feel like that applies to me, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the off switch. But you know who's all over these verses this morning? Jesus is. And that is exactly Mark's point. He says, if you will look at what, what I'm saying right here about Jesus, there is some really, really good news. For those Christians in Rome at that time, and for us here in America, in Christians all over the world in this time. And one of the first things that Mark is going to get at as we look at just the first verse here is that when there is nothing good around you, there's good news. When, there's, when you look around and there is nothing good around you, you have a substitute in your place that brings really good news. Look at verse 9. At that time, this is right after John the Baptist had baptized all these people. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. We've talked about Nazareth, haven't we? Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And so a couple questions should already be coming up in our minds right now. Whoa, wait, wait a second. So you came from Nazareth? I, I mean, I expected the high and mighty city of like Jerusalem in the region of Judea. I mean, that's where the, the religious excellence came from. And Mark goes, no, no, if you're thinking that, that that's where you've got to come from to have good news, because here's what Mark didn't say. At that time, Jesus came from Hollywood near Los Angeles. At that time, Jesus came out of an Ivy League school. At that time, Jesus came from a certain part of town. No, he didn't say that. He said Nazareth. Nazareth, which was basically Nowheresville in Galilee. And the people that were from Nazareth weren't really even thought highly of. And yet for most of his life, do you want to know where Jesus spent his time? In Nazareth. And it was so ordinary and it was so overlooked. 
And there was really nothing extraordinary about it. And see, this should begin to deal with that thing inside of us because we all get up in the morning and we do this. We look around us and we go, I'm looking for signs that I'm good. I'm looking for signs that I'm okay because somehow we've associated the blessing of God with material blessings. And Mark goes, no, no, no. It was Nazareth he came out of. But then the second thing this should raise in us is why does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, think about baptism. I mean, these rituals, these water rituals, these were practiced actually far more in ancient times than they are today. But a baptism really was to identify yourself with sin. And it was to say, I associate with sin. And I am turning. It's a repentance. I am changing directions. Now, you get that for you, and you get that for me, and you get that for pretty much everybody we read in the Bible except one. Jesus. Because did Jesus need to be baptized? According to how we think of it, no. And yet, if you were to look at what Jesus did, Jesus had to wholly and fully associate himself with sin and with sinners. And so, the verse. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. See, if he's going to identify with you and with me and with, with all sinners... You know what he has to do? He has to fully identify with it. And so he comes to John. John, who if you read in Matthew, goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus said, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness. I have to fully associate myself with sinners in order to fully give sinners the righteousness of God. See, you, you look around you, and if you don't see anything good, I, I mean, we, we tend to think that's not good news. And Mark says, no, no, no. If you will look around you, and you don't see anything good around you, that's great news. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came from an ordinary place, ordinary surroundings. He came and engaged in an act that ordinary people, sinners, engage with. Charles Spurgeon said it so well, and I'm going to probably not completely quote him correctly here, but he says, for, for somebody who's standing at the bottom of a mountain, to look up into the sky and see a star just off to the side of the mountaintop, we tend to think that the star is about as high as the mountaintop. It's only when we get to the summit of the mountain that we realize how far away that star is. And the point here is that God is not looking at you to somehow make it up to him. Because the highest we can go is a mountaintop. So instead, you know what he did? He gave us good news. He said, in, in your ordinary circumstances, in what looks like very, just, like I said, ordinary, not so good surrounding us, you know what God did? Instead of you reaching him, he reached down. Well, Mark continues through these couple of verses. And this time, it's not, it's not that if you look around and you don't see any good around you. Now he's going to say, if, if, if it seems nothing good is happening to you, there's good news. Because you have somebody who had something incredible happen on your behalf. Read verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being, and he uses this word here, torn open. It wasn't, this, it wasn't this just kind of 
polite. Oh, Jesus just kind of like the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered his way in. No, heaven tore open as in all heaven broke loose here. And this spirit, the Holy Spirit comes out of the heavens. He saw heaven being torn open in the spirit descending on him like a dove. Now you got to understand what's happening here. See, throughout scripture, when a king was announced, you know what it, how they were announced? There was a messenger that came before them and then human hands would anoint them. One time in scripture, is there, the, is there somebody, God sends a messenger, but God is going to do the anointing himself. And it's right here. Jesus' baptism. And so you have, the good news is you have somebody in your place. That if nothing good, if you look around and you feel like nothing good is happening to you, there's one in your place that had something absolutely incredible, absolutely holy, absolutely unique to him happen. He was empowered by God. He was anointed by God. Well, it continues. Because he wasn't just empowered in this moment. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. Now don't run along to what the voice says yet. And a voice came from heaven. See, we struggle with this a lot. And and I grew up really struggling with this a lot. A voice came from heaven. See, I would sit in church, and and a lot of times, you know what I would hear from people? Well, I heard God say, and, and maybe he did audibly speak to that person. I I just heard God say, but here's the thing. I heard it so much that I began to look around and go, okay, so what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that I don't hear it? And I realized as as I listened to a few of them that what they were actually saying is I feel like God is saying to me. And I feel like can be a dangerous place to be. Case in point. Oftentimes I, I feel... I feel when I'm driving in the mornings and it's rush hour and I get cut off. I feel like God is saying to play bumper cars with the guy who just cut me off. See, I feel is a really dangerous, dangerous place to be. We always got to line it up with something. We've always got to line it up with scripture, with the word of God. Jesus, we know of three times in his life that he audibly heard the word of God. Three times. Three times his voice. Here it is baptism, the transfiguration, and when he gave up his life. And that is it. And so when I hear people say, well, I feel like God's saying, I, I constantly, it's a reminder to me, let's just line it up with what it says here. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Through the lens and with the heart that Jesus read it. You want to hear God speak out loud? Read it out loud. Okay? And, and you'll hear him. You'll hear him, actually. So here's Jesus. He's been empowered by God. He's communicated with God. And then there's what the voice has to say. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, this is the NIV translation, but if you were to look at other translations, and that's a whole another Bible study tool that we'll get into in that email, but if you were to look at other translations, if you were to like, look at the Greek wording here, you know, what, you know what else you'd see? Not with you, I'm well pleased. In you, I'm well pleased. 
And it's an ongoing pleased with you. It's an ongoing. He says, look, you and all things in you, I'm pleased with. And why was he pleased with Jesus? He was pleased because Jesus was being obedient to the thing that was so dear to God's heart, to reconcile sinners to our Heavenly Father. Now, again, let me come back to our American eyes for a minute because one of the things I know I've been so guilty of is I look around and I'm thinking, okay, Jesus' life ends in a crucifixion, in a painful death for him. But a lot of times when things are painful and difficult for us, you know what we do? We think, oh, God's, God's mad at me. God must not hear me. God must not realize that I'm here. Maybe I didn't cut it. Maybe I didn't make it. And yet here is the very son of God. Who, If you, if you were to look through our American eyes, we go, oh, man, not good. God must have overlooked him. And yet right here, in you, I am well pleased. <clears throat> so is it good news? Is it good news if you look around and you just can't see anything good happening to you? Mark would say, yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget, I saw a, uh, an interview with a pastor on uh, Oprah Winfrey, and this was a few years ago. Well-known pastor. And she asked him this question. Now, keep in mind what Oprah represents, okay? And she has worked hard. She has accomplished a lot. She has inspired millions upon millions of people. But she asked this pastor in front of a national audience, is Jesus the way? Is he the only way to God? And I thought, okay, here, like, she just served it up on a silver platter for this guy. You know what he said? Ah, that's not for me to, to judge. Uh, I'm just here to, to love people. I think, and he said, I think God wants us to be happy. And I thought, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what, what happened? There was this opportunity to show, because you have a whole audience who's really their definition of good news was be like Oprah. Achieve what Oprah achieved. Just be like her. When you attain what she's got, then you're there. And I thought, ah, oh, we missed an opportunity there. But for the grace of God, there go all of us. We could all be in his shoes. Those words coming out of our mouth. If we define good news based on what happens to us. And Mark says, no, no, no. Like, no matter what, look at, look at the one who was the substitute in your place. His life ended on a cross, and, and you know what God said? In him I am well pleased. And now Mark's going to continue. This, this incredible moment has happened in the life of Jesus, this, this baptism of Jesus. And, and look at what comes next. Mark's going to use one of his favorite words. Mark's saying, look, when there's nothing good around you, and nothing good happens to you. And now he's going to go inside. When you don't see anything good coming from within you, there's still good news because of what happens next. Mark says this in verse 12. At once or immediately. Mark says this word 41 times in his gospel. So there's something to it. I mean, yes, Mark was impetuous. He was hanging out with Peter when he wrote this, who was also impetuous. And, and they just, like, everything was, was just dramatic, 
But he said, immediately, the Spirit sent him. And another translation says, impelled him to, to go out into the wilderness. Immediately. And already, I think, my goodness. We do this thing, and I've kind of gone off on this before, um, where we think, have you heard people say this phrase? It was such a God thing. Oh, such a God thing. It was Christmas Eve. I was driving through the mall parking lot, and somebody backed out of the first spot. It was such a God thing. And meanwhile, you're like, just shut your mouth, all right? Just, you, you could have kept driving and let me have it. I was behind you in that lot, okay? And yet right here, what do we see? Jesus completely, completely assured by God and immediately sent to the wilderness. You know that place we try to avoid at all costs? Can't let that happen? Immediately into the wilderness. For what? Verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. The wilderness for 40 days. You know what the wilderness is? The wilderness is the place where God's people failed and you and I fail. Every single time. Because if we get thirsty enough and if we get, if things get difficult enough, you know what happens? We get a little short-tempered. And and we get a little hot under the collar. And yet, it's the place where Jesus remained faithful for 40 days. Now, what's so interesting to me is Mark doesn't go into any detail here. Matthew goes into all kinds of detail. Mark doesn't go into any detail, but he gives us this 40-day number. And you begin to realize what's happening here in Mark is not just a random number. Because throughout Scripture, you see this pattern of 40. You know, the ark, the flood, 40 days. Elijah fasting for 40 days. God's people in the wilderness for 40 years. There's 40 days between the crucifixion and, and the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And here's Jesus 40 days in the wilderness. And God is saying, I'm redeeming all of it. I'm going to redeem every single bit of it. In those temptations in the desert, you know what it was about? The exact same things you and I face here in America today. Self-preservation, self-elevation, and self-sufficiency. Satan is right there in Jesus' ear as he's not had any food. Who knows if he could think clearly? And he's saying, look, just, just shift. Shift the focus to yourself. And Jesus just answering him with scripture. Filled with the Spirit, answering him with Scripture. See, is it good news if it's, let's just say you've got 40 days in the wilderness. And if you come through that successfully, you're right with God. Is that good news if somebody says it's up to you or me? That's not good news. And so Mark says, no, you have a substitute in your place. This, uh, this last week, we got an email from, we've got True, she's our fifth grader over at Schaefer Elementary. So we got this email, and it just buried in the middle of the email. It says, True has been, it was like no emotion whatsoever. True has been selected as leader of the month uh, for her class at, Ele- at Schaefer Elementary. And so we're thinking, wow, great job. And I went, True, what do you get? Like, what do you get? And she's like, I don't know. Nothing. She gets like a Zoom award ceremony, which is great. It's great for her. Lincoln jumps in, our second grader. He's like, you get called on. You get called on by the teacher more. 
And I'm sitting here, and I'm like looking at him sideways. And I'm like, I'm sorry, is this good news? I mean, I guess in second grade, if you get called on by the teacher, that's, that's, that's decent news for some of us. Not for some of you. But anyway. But you know, as you go through life, that burden becomes greater. You know, one of the things I want to share with Lincoln is, guess what? You're going to get called on, and you're going to get called on, and you're going to get called on. And there's going to come a point where we get to a level of being called on that we can't live up to. You might go this entire earthly life being called on and living up to it. And yet Mark's pointing at something. There's going to come a point where you get called on by God. And not you or me outside of Jesus Christ can live up to that. We can't live up to it. See, when there's nothing good going on around you, nothing good happening to you, you don't see anything good within you, you know what Mark says? Good news. You've got somebody in your place. You have somebody in your place. See, if it depends on you, that's not good. And if it comes from you, that's not news. And so Mark, what he's getting at, to these Christians in Rome who could be rounded up at any moment and executed by Nero. You know what he's saying? There's good news. But will you believe it? Will you believe it? In the midst of everything going on, life maybe hasn't worked out the way you pictured it. Life isn't going the way you want to. You look at yourself and you just, you you feel like there's a track record of failure. You know what Mark says? But will you believe it? Will you shift trust off of yourself onto one who sends good news? That you have a substitute at the cross in your place? And so he says that to a Roman Christian audience. You know who else he says it to? You and me. And here's how Mark ends these few verses right here, or where we're stopping this morning. Verse 13, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And that seems like, okay, thanks for that information. But you've got to understand what the wild animals of the wilderness were. I mean, these were animals that could have ripped him apart at any moment. Yet, you know what that is to me? I believe it's a picture. It's a picture of what your life looks like when you move that trust off of yourself. When I move that trust off of myself and on to the one who substituted in my place. The Roman Christians could go into arenas and literally face wild animals and know they'd be attended by angels. That's what life looks like. That's good news. You and I can walk out these doors and you may not face wild animals in the way that we read it here or think of it here, but you face a culture. It is filled with wild animals that want to tear Christians and followers of Christ limb from limb. They're hostile to the ways of Christianity. They absolutely are. I don't mean like go home and, and like side-eye your neighbor like, oh, when are you coming? But there, there's just, it's prevalent. I was reading the other day, Christianity is quickly becoming, or no longer, the majority religion here in the United States. These are the days we live in. And yet, there's good news. There's good news. When you don't see it around you, when it's not happening to you, when you can't find it within you, Mark says, 
you have a substitute. You can go out into the wilderness with the wild beasts and animals and be attended by the angels that he commands. And so, with all that in mind, next week, this is all just the preparation for Jesus' ministry. But filled with that, that translates into his heart to pursue people. We'll begin looking at those episodes next week as the worship team comes up. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Lord, thank you for Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. I mean, as, as we look at just a few short verses, there is so much to chew on there. And so, Lord, thank you for the good news. Not our definition of good news, but your definition. That when we see no good around us, you know, we see no good happening to us, or we may see no good within us, we still have good news. But, Lord, only you can do the work of moving our belief off of what we think, off of what we say, off of how we define good news onto yours. And so, Lord, only you can make that shift. And so as we walk through Mark, illuminate, illuminate your word in our hearts. Nourish us with your words so that we can go out of these doors every single week into a culture filled with wild everything and yet know that our lives are hidden in Christ that when you look at us, you see Jesus and his faithfulness and his sacrifice at the cross on our behalf. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.